Welcome to the Binge Eating to Food Freedom podcast with Katie Papo. Our mission is to share the simplest and most peaceful system for food freedom in the world with people who suffer from binge eating, food addiction, and compulsive overeating. We are here to show that with the right strategy and support, any committed, coachable, and resourceful individual can feel peaceful and free with food. Hello, hello, and welcome to another live stream. So today is a special day. I'm just organizing my camera here. I, it doesn't look as good as it normally does, does it? Um, actually, let me just fix something, guys. Give me a second here. Okay, I think that's a little bit better. Awesome, thanks for your patience there. So let's just recap for a second the land here. So over the last four weeks, what we did is a four week free training on how to end binge eating permanently without calorie counting, without dieting, without restrictions, without therapy. Um, hey, Nancy, yes, guys, let me know you're here. I can see a bunch of you are here, but I love to see the comments to let you know that you can hear me and we're in this together. So um, so we've been going through this four-week training, and we've gone through a lot. So the first couple of weeks, we focused on strategy-related things. Hey, Amy, nice to see you. We focused on strategy-related things within the first two, two weeks where you actually learn techniques to practice around your eating. Then in the third week, we started talking more about hunger and satisfaction and emotional eating and using the tools that you learn in the first two weeks to apply to those ideas. And then in the fourth week, last week, we talked about the mental component of binge eating and how to use the mind and your natural tendencies to your own advantage, and also how to start shifting the tendencies that tend to you know, create that loop of self-sabotage. So I loved being with all you guys, and a lot of questions came through during those, during those weeks. So I compiled the most common ones that I received. Some of you sent in some more specific questions that I'll still plan to answer on Facebook, but um, there were questions that came up frequently. So I wanted to answer those today. And some of the questions also had to do with me, like my, my story specifically. Um, and I, it's, it's not something I, in, in the past have historically talked about a lot because my perspective has always been, you know, let this be about you. This is about your journey. And my journey is different from your journey. It was different from somebody else's. Yet there are still things that are at the core of all of us. Um, and also it can be helpful, right? Even if you are focusing on yourself, it can be helpful to hear from someone who's been through what you're currently going through and what it actually looked like in real life as it was all happening. Um, so today what I wanted to do is share, um, really, I'll, I'll definitely tell you about where I was when I started, right? Like the before of the before and after, but I also wanted to talk about the middle and how these shifts happen because that tends to be the hardest part, right? Is the middle. <laughs> um, so, so, that, that is where the work happens and that is where the magic happens too. So what I wanted to do today, first of all, I just wanna put this out there um, because I feel like I need to say it out loud in order for it to lose its power over me. But I need to share today that I'm very much out of my comfort zone right now. Um, 
I have not planned anything that I'm going to say because I wanted to be able to come on candidly and without censoring myself. But for those of you who've gotten to know me, you also know my tendency and my inclination tends to be type A, likes to be in control, likes things to be planned, likes things to be organized. So I'm very much out of my comfort zone here. And I'm hoping that this will go well. Um, but I also <laughs> I also had kind of a, a challenging morning. So I did enlist some help. One of the things that I always teach and practice um, and encourage you to do the same is when you need help, reach out for help. And this is something we always tell our clients to do, not to wait, not to think you're unworthy of getting help. So that's what I did today is I actually asked Shahar, even though he's on vacation and this is the last week of vacation, I said, I need a little bit of help organizing myself today because without planning and me just showing up candidly, I just, I don't want to be rambling to you guys the whole time. So he's going to help guide me a little bit um, just so we can stay focused as well. But I do want my, I'll just set my intention clearly right now is that I want to come to you with as much openness and honesty as I possibly can showing you how in real life you can use these practices and principles to heal and, and remove yourself from this situation where you do feel stuck or trapped in these compulsions and obsessions around food. Um, and I hope that from hearing my story and the Q&A that we'll do after, um, that you will see some of yourself in this and that you'll be able to apply this to your life. So um, Amy said, thank you for being vulnerable. You're welcome. I almost didn't want to do this, but I said, you know what? It's going to be good for my ego for me to do it, to, to, not, to not let the ego run the show here. So I'm going to add Shahar into this. Um, live stream right now. Yay, there he is. For those of you who don't know Shahar um, very well yet, he is our mindset coach in our program. And also in the context of my story, I would say that Shahar was the most important human being besides me who helped me get to where I am now. And he really got to see the whole process also. So, and who knows how it's going to go today, but um, you know, I went through the, the process firsthand, but Shahar watched me go the, through the process firsthand and he saw me fall down and he saw me get back up and he saw me cry and he saw me be elevated. So um, I think it's also a positive thing that you're here today for that reason, too. So thank thank you, my love. <laughs> oh, it's my it's totally my pleasure. And I remember that journey. It was fascinating to see it. It was fascinating to be to be also helpful because. My biggest uh, contribution was, contribution, that's a better way to say it, contribution was to really help with that mindset, really help with that, how you kind of bring the mind back to where, kind of structure your thoughts and see which thoughts are more valuable, which thoughts are a little less valuable and how to kind of refine our mind because our mind is very, very malleable like that. And by the way, I apologize if you don't, I have a terrible background. It's just the only place in the house with no exception. <laughs> so if you just see a white background with a door, then what can I do? <laughs> Luckily, we don't advocate perfection here. So, <laughs> so, so let me. Um, I guess the way More I want to start. <laughs> I guess the way I want to start this, and Shahar will take us through at the end. But I just kind of wanted to give you an idea of what questions we'll be answering at the end. But I also want to talk about my story first. Um, so at the end of at the end of this or in the second half, we will be talking about um, 
people have sent in questions about fears of what you'll do with your thoughts if you're not thinking about food because it's been so long that you've been thinking about food. We had some questions about sugar addiction specifically. We had questions about binge urges and can they really be truly gone? Uh, we had questions about um, what do you do when your brain just wants to go back to old habits and it likes its old familiar grooves. We had a weight loss question. So we're gonna go into these questions at the end, but. The way I wanted to start it was to give you a little bit of context with my story, um, since we haven't really done that live yet. So um, I guess I'll start with um, the four, right? Okay. Shahar's yeah, of course. So <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. I, I was kind of assuming I'm giving the questions, but go ahead. You're, you're doing so well. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is this is what happens when you're interviewing a control freak. Is she starts asking herself the, her own her own. Questions. By the way, by the way, this is a good uh, example of our any amount principle. You ask for help, so you could have done this without my help. But just by allowing it to happen, you can see you're already getting into that mode. This is a perfect example of exactly how our mind works. You yes. didn't really need my help, but because you allowed yourself to be vulnerable and to invite that. Your mind is already in that dynamo. It's already working towards something. Right. Yes, thank you. So um, so I, I think what I'll do is I'll first share with you guys my relationship with food prior to having done all of this work. So um, my big, I would say my big uh, obstacles in this lifetime that applied to food and also applied to other things were the issues of addiction, compulsion, and obsession. I would say that most of my major life issues that I've struggled with um, have boiled down to those things. And I would inc include food as part of those things because for me, like many of you, it wasn't about me not understanding, oh, broccoli is healthy and cake is not. <laughs> like it wasn't about me understanding like the nutritive value of foods or how to count calories or any of that stuff like intellectual living in the land of intellectual and counting and structure like that's where that's my comfort zone so that was not the issue for me the issue for me was um first of all the the compulsive aspect so by compulsion i mean those urges right sometimes we call them binge urges sometimes we call it addiction but it's the those that out of control feeling that we get where even though our brain is telling us, I don't want that, don't do that, we still find ourselves you know, with the hand in the refrigerator. So for me, compulsion and obsession were a huge part of my childhood, as was addiction, as was anxiety, as was depression, as was ADHD, which a lot of these things I know you guys have struggled with as, a, as a, uh, almost like a, it's a, as a fuel to the binges right? That these things, they don't make the binges better, they can make them worse. So I would say the first things that I was struggling with as a kid was um, oftentimes crippling anxiety. I was taken to many specialists and therapists and all that kind of stuff. I was put on medications um, for anxiety, depression, also insomnia. I had a very difficult time um, sleeping. I also had other obsessive compulsive tendencies, um, such as pulling my hair. I was diagnosed with something called trichotillomania, where you compulsively pull your hair. Um, addictions to alcohol, addictions to uh, smoking, addictions to food, addictions to sugar, addiction to all kinds of things. Um, so I definitely, you know, from a young age, I feel like 
on paper, it could look like, oh, you have all these forces working against you. But I actually think the fact that I had all of these, it seemed like a like a cocktail of issues. But what what I think made the biggest difference in the shift for me was I started to see that the underlying forces beneath all of these issues boil down to the same things, compulsion, obsession, addiction, which I think addiction maybe could even be defined as compulsion and obsession combined. So um, so I, I started to see at a fairly young age, I guess, that it was not that the issue was not about the object of the addiction. So whether I was addicted to, to, to uh, alcohol or smoking or cookies or chips or pizza, the feeling of being out of control, the feeling of constantly thinking about it and not being able to turn my brain off, the feeling of uh, the shame and the guilt after giving into it when I tried so hard not to, all of, all of these things had that in common. And because of that, I started looking, instead of at the food itself, I did look at the food itself first, okay? I wanna put that out there. I did try multiple different diets, detoxes. You know, that was my first, that was my first round of strategy in trying to control the binges was, um, or the emotional eating was I would try to restrict. And I was very into nutrition and health, I still am. Um, I was very into those things, especially, you know, in my younger years. And um, I'm in my mid thirties now. And when I was focusing on those, on those things, I noticed my binges started getting much, much, much worse um, to the point where I would, it was not uncommon for me to eat out of the garbage. If I threw something out and then like, was like, oh shoot, I, I need that. Like I would eat out of the garbage. I would also um, eat secretly. I did tons of secret eating, especially because I was in the health and wellness space back then. Um, I, it was so humiliating for me to be so out of control that all of my eating was happening in secret. Um, what else? I also feel that it's important to note that as I was kind of going through this process, I think the binge eating and the food issues came to the forefront more than my other compulsive obsessive, obsessive issues because of the weight gain element. So I, I felt like that for me put more urgency on it. And not only that, but the fact that I felt so awful, like physically, emotionally, um, it felt dangerous to be binge eating like that. Like I, I found myself sometimes Googling, like how much can you eat before your stomach ruptures? Because I was afraid I was doing like long-term damage to myself. So, um, so it was, it was bad. <laughs> um, there were many, and I, I actually found one of my old journals, um, uh, about a year ago and I just kind of looked through it and it was just these, you know, these, um, so there was so much powerlessness, um, powerlessness energy when I was reading through them, there was a lot of like, um, I binged again. I can't believe it. You know, what's wrong with me starting tomorrow? I have to be really on top of this. And I would, I would have in my journal, these little plans starting tomorrow, drink this much water upon waking, um, eat this much protein before this. And I was like, you know, setting these plans for myself. And then you'd see the, the entry from the following day. 
oh, three days passed and I've been binging for three days. Now I really have to get on top of it. And the whole journal was like that loop. And um, and that's the loop like that I see in our group, right? A lot of uh, you guys who, who are, you know, earlier on the path for like getting this help, like this is the loop that you experience too. I see it and I know it. Oh my gosh, especially reading that journal. I was like, ah, but I don't identify with that anymore. And I can honestly say at this point, I am the strongest I've ever been. It's the easiest. By the way, before you continue, I'm curious because I would love to hear more about uh, the the process you are going through, like the process you went through to to change it in comparison to how you are now. I'm also curious about a little bit about how long have you felt like this this binge eating cycle and like how like how young were you before diets, etc. Like how much was that already inculcated? inside the mind, like some people, some of some of our students, they describe themselves being on diets at stage like three, you know, like. Right. Yeah. I think, well, the thing about my childhood um, is that I definitely found myself going to food to cope. I found myself going to food for emotional reasons. Um, For me, a common theme of, of one of my struggles is escapism. Um, it's it's very hard to be in the world and to feel people's feelings and to feel your own feelings. And, you know, I felt that from a very young age. I'm very sensitive um, and I can feel my own feelings very deeply and feel other feelings deeply. And sometimes when that feels overwhelming, the inclination is to numb. And that was the, certainly the case for me. And food was one of my tools. You know, it's a legal thing that we can use when we're young to numb ourselves before we, you know, get introduced to the world of drugs and drinking. So food for me, like kind of, I would describe my earlier years as an emotional eater, um, for sure, and an overeater, uh, just from the way, you know, growing up in a Jewish family and eat, 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 you know, that sort of like mentality, I think, you know, we all have culture playing a role too. Um, but also I know, and and I feel okay sharing this because these are the parts that my mom has shared publicly before, but my mom also struggled with her eating and um, with her weight as well for my entire childhood, as long as I can remember. So I was always seeing not only her go through the yo-yo part of it, being incredibly focused and disciplined on the diet, like perfectionist level, like every little thing is accounted for, everything is written down. I would see her gear up to do those things. I would see her be totally immersed in those things. And then I would see her fall off of those things. And I saw this, you know, happen as a cycle. And, and she probably and she probably didn't even know know that you were noticing. This is something we also notice a lot when the people work with. They have children, and they're doing the counting and the dieting, etc. And you think they're the kids are not seeing it, they're not feeling it. But you not only felt it, you can also see it. I felt it. I saw it. And being a sensitive person, I also felt like, in a way, I took it on. Um, and all, and also, it wasn't just the 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 mental anguish of you know that I felt of hers with like putting everything, like putting all of your energy into a diet, like really giving it your all, and then not only gaining the weight back, but gaining it back plus more, like that anguish that comes with that. But it was also um, feeling secondhand. I think those insecurities of what do people think of me and I look fat in this and all of those types of things 
I, I'm, like I said, I'm very sensitive and I'm very sensitive, especially to the people who are closest to me. So seeing her struggle with those things and feeling it through her, I definitely took a lot of that on myself, you know, like as kids do. So I was definitely struggling with food for definitely, you know, in my preteens, but I think that things, you know, gradually started getting worse as I was in high school, because that's also when, um, you know, my insomnia was at its worst, my anxiety was at its worst, my self-consciousness was at its worst, um, my hair pulling was at its worst. So um, everything started coming to a head then. And I remember when I would come home from school, I would make myself a, like a giant plate of pizza rolls. And I would go up to my room, and I would close the door, and I would totally numb out in front of the TV with pizza rolls to unwind from my day at school, which I know a lot of you guys like, that's what you do when you come home from work or when your kids go to sleep, right? Like you want, um, I'm just muting you for a second, Shocker, because there was some background noise. Like you want that time, like the food represents me time. Like this is my time to be with myself. This is my time to not think. This is my time to escape. And for me, that's what it was too in high school. Um, and as I uh, went through college, I was still struggling for sure, with disordered eating. I didn't know though, like in high school and in college, I didn't know that what I was doing was binge eating or food addiction. I didn't have those terms to label it yet. I just thought that I was an out of control person who was extreme and addicted to everything. So if I said, oh, I'm addicted to these chips, I would just like dismiss it as, oh, these chips are addictive. Now I need to buy different types of chips or no chips, right? So I, I wasn't getting as deep yet. To, to see, oh, there's something underneath. There's a there's a pattern that's the undercurrent of all of this. So um, what was the first time you noticed, like you noticed this is the, this is an issue, this is big also, right. not just a small thing, it's like something big. So something that I did, um, which was kind of, I guess at the time, looking back, it, it kind of could look, be looked like, like an impulsive move. But at some point after college, I found myself struggling. Um, with my own self-mastery and self-control. And this fear started percolating in me. If I can't get my food under control, how am I going to show up in my life? Like, how am I going to succeed in my career? How am I going to succeed um, in relationships if I'm constantly hiding this? You know, how can I show up and not feel like a fraud if I'm speaking in front of people? So I felt in my core kind of like, I couldn't start the next chapter of my life until I fixed this. And the more I started looking at it, the more it, it was like, I, I need to fix the compulsion. I need to fix the obsession. But I was still very food focused. I, I still kept saying, oh, I just need to not be around the food. I need to just keep putting myself in situations where there aren't temptations. So that way I can be functional and I can show up and I can feel in control. So what I ended up doing, I went to an ashram. For those of you who don't know, an ashram is, is like a, a community where monks live and practice uh, meditation or certain uh, spiritual disciplines or mental disciplines um, in order to you know, strengthen your, your inner stability and inner self. So I thought this was the perfect place for me. So I signed up for this program where you could volunteer and stay. And it was a three-month program. And you learn all the disciplines and stuff. But as as a, as the trade, you volunteer your time and they they kind of put you in whatever department needs you. 
So I arrived and I was thinking how great it's going to be because the meals are scheduled. I was like, oh, it's basically like intermittent fasting built in. And I'm also going to be active. I'm going to be in the sun. I'm going to look good. I'm going to get tan. Like this was my mind when I was, you know, 20. And um, when I get there, literally, I swear to you guys, within 15 minutes of me being there, they gave me my, uh, my service assignment and it was in the bakery. And my job was to literally sit, stand in a kitchen like this size, like only I could fit in this kitchen and scoop ice cream and bake muffins and bake cookies the whole day, like for six hours a day. So immediately I went, no, this is the last place where I should be. And I asked them, can you switch me to the garden? Can you switch me to anything else? And they were like, this is where we need you you know, make the most out of it. <laughs> this is the practice to not be attached and to let this go and to just do your best. So it kind of, first of all, hit me then of I'm being, I'm given some kind of universal lesson here. You need to fix this at the root. You can't run from this anymore. Like you got on a plane, you ran to a place where monks live, like you ran away from your problems. And here you are within the first 15 minutes. Here's all your problems. You're going to be around muffins all day. So so this so this is where kind of it. I started seeing like, OK, I need to fix this for real. And there's a deeper way to do this than what I've been doing. I still wasn't ready, though, at that time to fully understand what I was dealing with until um, I, I accidentally, and this was a result of part of the binge eating issues, is I was using exercise um, as a way to compensate because I didn't want to gain weight. I'm sure a lot of you have experienced the same situation. So I would compulsively exercise and over-exercise um, to, try, to try to combat the all those extra calories I was eating all the time. And as a result of that, I, I severely hurt myself um, to the point where I'm still recovering from that injury. And um, so I, as I, I was trying to fix this, it's like a pain I have in my hip. And, and I went to someone in the ashram to, to help me fix that. And when I walked in, the first thing she said to me, not related to my leg, but she just said to me, how long have you had an eating disorder? And my response was, I don't have an eating disorder. Eating disorders are for people who, you know, know how to control themselves. <laughs> they know how to not eat all day. And um, and I didn't like I I was I was definitely defensive when she first brought it up. But when I left, I was thinking I couldn't get it out of my head. I was thinking about it more. And then I started researching binge eating, and I was like, oh my gosh, I have all of these symptoms. I'm a binge eater, which Let's not, you know, group that in with the identity, right? Because we talk about let's not call ourselves that. But this was my thought process at the time. And at the time, it was a huge relief, actually, for me, because I saw that I was not the only person struggling with this. And I started reading more books about it, um, people who had struggled with it and overcome it. And then I saw like, oh, I'm not the only one who's eaten food out of the garbage. I'm not the only one who has like frantically eaten an entire pizza by themselves in the car, hoping no one will see. Like, I'm not the only one. Um, and also, I think 
in the past, I sort of the whole idea of binge eating, I think I saw it as like, oh, these are people who just don't care about themselves or they just feel so out of control, but they don't they don't really try. Um, whereas I, I when I could see myself in it, I was like, I care about this more than anything. Like, I care about my health. I care about these things. And that's part of what's so maddening is I care so much and it's making it so much worse. Um, and. And so I started to see that binge eating wasn't just kind of like the way I saw it on TV, maybe like where people just like, oh, I don't care about what I'm eating or what I look like, and I'm just going to eat as much as I want. I realized that that's not really all it is. It could also include emotional eating or food addiction or, or um, you know, people who really are in control in other areas of their life. But this is like the area where there's a struggle or this has come from years of dieting or being put on restrictive plans, you know, so it's not people who, who don't care. It's people like us who care so much. And we know that this is not who we are, which is why we're, you know, trying to fight it. So that was me is I kind of realized like, oh, I can, I am in this group. And if I'm in this group, then that means I can change things. So what I, what I, another thing I wanted to ask, so what was the first, so this is basically how you got that realization, Katie. So I want to know a little more, and I'm sure everybody's listening. So what was kind of the first step? What was the first thing you decided, okay, now I'm working on the path or solving it? Because the first instinct is restriction immediately, right? right? Because it makes sense for a person who is more compulsive is I want to control it. And the easiest way to control something is restriction. Right. So-called, right? So-called the easiest way to control. Yeah. It was my first in instinct, restriction, still. Even though, and 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 I see it also, you know, with a lot of you guys, you know, who write in and stuff, I have dealt with the same thing, is even after I intellectually understood the idea that restriction fuels binges, right? I intellectually understood it. But I still also held the belief of, yeah, but if I don't restrict, I'm going to be totally out of control because every time I haven't restricted, it's been a disaster. And I can't let that continue because I will keep gaining weight and all that stuff. So so my instinct was, you know, what a lot of us do is just to try different methods of restriction. So I would do 30 day sugar, no sugar challenges. And I would recruit my friends to join me to do no sugar. Um, I tried, you know, only eating between this hour and this hour. So there was always, um, there were always elements of restriction that I was using. But what I found ultimately was that, as especially as I became more aware that every, restriction would ultimately lead to a binge and every binge that I experienced, I could ultimately trace back to restriction. So because my awareness started heightening around this, I started seeing I'm the one who is fueling this. So it's not necessarily this force that's out of my control, even though it feels that way. I am fueling this with my own thoughts. I'm fueling this with my own actions. And if I have the power to do that, 
I also have the power to do something different. Not only that, but in the ashram, we were studying all kinds of things about the mind. So this was also opening up my my I, my um, understanding of how neuroscience works and how habit forming works and long term habit forming works, especially. Um, so and 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 what's actually possible in the things that we can change with ourselves. So I think it was helpful for me to be in that place because a lot of what's out there in, in um, more mainstream um, methods is there's still there's still this notion that binge eating cannot be fixed or that it can only be managed, but it's never actually going to go away. So luckily, I was not really, quote unquote, indoctrinated in that type of thinking. So I was never in a position where I actually thought there are no options, there are no solutions. My mentality was more, I need to figure out what the solution is. But I, would, I already had the assumption that a solution was there. I just wasn't sure what it was. But I knew that the mind was capable of change. I knew that habits were capable of change. And therefore, why wouldn't I be? But the, but the restriction element was definitely my first instinct. And it only started to shift once I started to see the direct correlation between the binges and the restrictions that I really never had one without the other. And I see that with a lot of you guys, um, even when you're like, oh, this wasn't a restriction. If you write out the story, which a lot of you have for me, and I've gotten to underline, well, that, that's where the restriction was. And then I've right. seen a bunch of you say, oh my God, I never would have even seen it that way because that's just how <laughs> I normally think. But now that I see it, you're right. And now I'm seeing it in other places too. And this is what started happening for me is I started making these connections, um, which then be, it made the restriction path a lot less tempting because I lost my faith in it as something that would work. Right. Is there, is there, there's something, yeah, that makes sense. And I wanted to ask about that. Uh, I really want to have, because you said that you were lucky that you weren't really, you didn't buy into that mentality of like, this is it, this is it. You are Ben Jeter. And that's something we, we see a lot. It's kind of that mentality is like, bec it becomes like kind of a culture. It becomes, it becomes like the culture of diet, the culture of constantly talking about it. it you have your friends who are in part of it. It's like become like this binge eating. Like you are, it's it's addictive sometimes to be, to have that identity of binge eater. Now, what do you think that you were lucky because it, you just weren't in those circles, or because there was something that you understood that took you out of it? I felt like for me. Um... I couldn't accept it because I needed to save myself. Like it wasn't an option. Like even if no one else in the world knew the answer, I was going to find it. Like that was my attitude because I was like, I'm not laying down like this. I have my whole life ahead and this is not about how I'm going to go live it um, because it's affecting every area of my life. And I know every area of my life will suffer until I can fix this within myself so for and that's me that's huge that's huge that's one of the <laughs> biggest diff that's huge it's a huge huge difference and we see that regarding who is successful in solving binge eating and who just stays with it is really that low point you just said is is do i really want to live my life this way like most people we see even in our binge group they're they're looking for plans 
how to be on a restrictive diet for the next 10 years or for the next wedding for this they're they're planning their life around that diet and you from and you just say i don't want that i want to find a way to be air quotes hu normal human being without this being the center of my life without food being the center of my life and and that's a huge 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 difference so everybody was listening this is really the first step is really understanding that like katie is suggesting i don't want my life to be constant revolving food i want to be free from that i want to be katie i want to be me i want to be etc yeah, exactly. And Amy just wrote, um, she said, you not only saved yourself, but you've given others like me the tools to save themselves as well. And um, that was also a huge motivator for me um, because I felt like by doing this for myself, it wasn't just about me. Um, and at this time, I wasn't, I don't even think I was thinking about helping, you know, strangers like Amy, you're such a friend now, but at one point you were a stranger. Um, but for me, it was, it was my mom. Like I, I felt my mom suffering throughout, you know, my childhood and um, because I felt it very deeply, I, I wanted solutions for both of us, even she didn't ask for help, <laughs> but like I, I wanted to know that I could help. Um, and eventually she did ask for help and I helped <laughs> and my God, that was a huge shift for both me and my mom and even our relationship together. So, but, I, but in the beginning, you know, it was definitely for selfish reasons. I need to save myself, but it definitely trickled into other places too. So awesome. So let's, let's talk about the main shifts that you were experiencing. Okay. What, one kind of, what was the first thing, the first shift, the first exercise, the first kind yeah. of, what was the first shift and what was the exercise that was leading to it? Yeah, so I'll share with you guys, and this is something, you know, you can try at home. <laughs> um, and this will go along with the principles that are outlined for you in the free training I just did. But, and I don't know if this was my first experience, but there was, so as I worked in this like little kitchen with all the cookies and the muffins and all that stuff, a lot of time when people would come and buy things, uh, they'd buy a muffin, they'd buy a cookie or a chocolates. They would come and on their way out, they would give me some, which is a very sweet thing to do. But when it happens to you 50 times a day and you're have binging issues and sugar addiction, you're like, stop giving me cookies. <laughs> but um, so this was my this was, you know, something that was happening all the time and my weight was fluctuating a lot and it was it was very difficult for me. And as I was you know, in my, like I said, my initial instinct was to restrict, to say no muffins. I'm recruiting my friends to help me stay away from sugar. I'm, I'm keeping everything, you know, separate, trying to control as, you know, control as much as I could. And then one day after I kind of had some of these epiphanies and, and um, understood the, the connection between restriction and uh, binges is uh, one day I decided, you know what, I'm just going to pay attention. And with a, with a curious, remember how I got, how I'm talking to you guys about like the mindset, a curious mindset rather than like being super attached to results. So I came at it with like this curious mindset of what if I just allowed myself to have whatever food I want today and not actually try to restrict the food itself, but instead to pay more attention to how I physically feel, what I'm actually in the mood for, and when it would feel best for me to just stop. 
So what that did, and I'll, I'll tell you what, what ended up happening that day, a bunch of people were buying the cookies and giving me pieces and buying chocolates and giving me some. And, and every time someone would give me one, I wouldn't say no, I would say thank you. And I would put it on a plate for later. And I kept this plate um, in this little cubby hole that I had for myself. And anytime someone would give me something, I'd put it on the plate. Now, I remember that day after dinner, I had a craving for something sweet, which was usually the case. And I was that, at that point, I would say sugar addiction was my biggest issue, which I'll talk about more later when I answer that question. Um, so as I as I after dinner had that, you know, ooh, I have a hankering for a sweet. I got the fear came up, right? Oh, my God, it's going to be out of control. And I said, no, let me reset my intention to just pay attention. Let me just ask myself, like, what of all I have all, all these options, like I was given cookies and muffins and chocolates. I can take my pick. Let me ask myself, what do I most want right now? And then when I have it, I'm actually going to be present with myself when I have it. I'm going to let my, I'm not going to rush it and sneak it right and eat as much as I can before someone sees me. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to eat in plain sight. I'm going to enjoy it as much as I can. I'm just going to pay attention to what feels good and what doesn't. And I'm going to do that with a mindset of curiosity. So I sat down with the plate. I picked something. I don't know what it was. Uh, probably it was a chocolate, just knowing knowing 20-year-old Katie. Um, so I picked it up and I closed my eyes to, to, first of all, breathe and calm myself to see like what state am I in right now? Can I eat this in a calmer way than I normally would? So I started slowing down, breathing, chewing more. And as I was, I was paying attention to the taste and I was like, oh, this tastes really good. And then I waited for the bite to be done. I swallowed fully before putting another bite in, which was a practice in itself for me. And then when I took my second bite, I noticed, huh, this second bite tastes way sweeter, almost too sweet compared to the first bite. Hmm, I wonder about that. Continued chew, 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 feel, 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 curious, curious, curious. Next bite came and I didn't like it at all. And I said, all right, well, I guess that's good for now. And if I want more, I can have more at any time and I'll just do it in the same way that I did this time. And that night I felt satisfied for the first time with less than I had ever eaten before, <laughs> like far less. Usually it would be like shoveling six chocolate bars before anyone would see, like literally six. Um, whereas this time it was like a bite and I was satisfied. So for me, this was kind of mind blowing to have that experience where I wasn't restricting myself, yet I was still eating less somehow. Um, so for me, because that was such a light bulb moment, I, I became more curious than anything. I was like, hmm, I wonder what would happen if I tried it with this, or I tried this, or I tried. And that was where I think the spirit of curiosity um, was a huge saving grace for me because had I got into it with the mentality of, well, well, they say the restriction causes binges. So I'm not going to restrict myself, but hopefully after the first bite, I'll discover that I don't really like this and then I won't want to eat it anymore. And then that will be the end of binging forever. <laughs> like that's, that's, uh, I, I that's another, don't that's another, that's another version of restriction. You're, you're already creating exactly. the, the results before even starting. Right. Oh, well, I only ate half of the sandwich yesterday, which means I shouldn't want any more of the sandwich today. And because right. that's the result I got yesterday, so I should only improve from there. So this is so notice how that's not the energy of curiosity, though. 
That's right. the energy of I'm still trying to force and manipulate a certain result by a certain time. And right. that's not how this healing process really works in a sustainable way. Um, yeah, Amy just said it's amazing how many ways restriction can creep in, especially, yeah, because we've been training our minds that way for so long, whether it's the people we've been around or the diets we've put ourselves on or just the way that we think if we have more of a scarcity mentality, um, if that's our parents, you know, brought us up with. So I feel like the mentality so, in doing that was the key. So a question with that, and I'm, sh I'm sure uh, people are asking that when they're watching is... So you said it was the energy of curiosity, but did it come from somewhere? Is it was really just intuition that said, let me try that or or it came from somewhere else? Like where where did that insight came from? Well, it started with um, I think it came from a few places because I had some background already. Like I said, I was teaching nutrition and I was teaching, you know, things about cream. So it's not like I hadn't done research before, but most of it was like along the lines of things I would advocate against now for people like us. Um, but, but I still, I was always curious about those things and was always interested in many different perspectives. And I've changed my perspectives over the years, having tried a lot of stuff myself. And I feel like where it, the curiosity came from though was at what was because um, I was entering into like a new sort of territory and what I had seen from being in the ashram specifically, there's a lot of emphasis there, which was also, you know, indoctrinating me or I guess, quote unquote, brainwashing me, but in a positive way, like a good kind of brain bath <laughs> um, was there was so much emphasis on mindfulness. There was so much emphasis on the power of the mind. Um, there was a lot of emphasis also on being body aware. So I was learning breathing techniques. I was learning relaxation techniques like I taught you guys um, in the free training. I was learning tools to calm myself and connect with myself and increase my own self-awareness, my awareness of my thoughts, my awareness of my feelings, my awareness. So all of that was kind of happening. So it was very much in line with the things that I was already practicing, just not specifically with food. So I just sort of started applying those same principles that seemed to work for every other area of my life. But I started to ask myself the question of how can this now be applied to food? Does that answer Beautifully. Yeah, perfectly. Now I'm now <laughs> let's talk a little bit about uh, the sweetest so interviewer think, I've ever known. <laughs> yeah, it just took me a little while to find the mute button. <laughs> but anyway, so I want to hear more before we go into the to the now part. I want to hear a little more about the the kind of transformations, those other shifts that happened to you and the, and how chronologically it led to where you are today. And then I'm curious right. to hear how today it looks. Right. Like, how does that, like, are you carrying it with you or is it something that is completely different or maybe it's not even there? Right. Yeah. I think the way that it started shifting over time is there was, there was definitely multiple phases or stages to this. And it's not like one is completely separate from another, right? Everything was you know, a process. Did you, did you even notice it in the time or was just like in hindsight, you notice, oh, that's a shift that happened. Yeah. Sometimes I would notice in hindsight. Um, like I remember, I think it was last year. 
uh, remember when I was staying up at the ashram in New York and I had, I like forgot that there was cake in my mini fridge in my room <laughs> for two days. I forgot that there was cake in there and it actually went bad in my fridge. In that moment, uh, I was like, whoa, <laughs> that never would have happened. Um, oh. So there were definitely oh. things like that. I remember the shift with the, with the cake. I was in the ashram and I asked you to save me some cake and you were wandering around holding this cake or cake for Looking me. For and you couldn't find me. And I was shocked that you that didn't the eat That the cake made it to you in the end. Yeah, I, know, I was shocked too. And I, when I found you, I was like, take this because I can't believe that I made it this long without just eating your cake. Um, so, so yeah, these little things would change. But one thing that I, I can definitely say, because this was, you know, I think, first of all, let me preface this by saying our clients have been seeing from the beginning, have been seeing much faster results than I saw. Because luckily for our clients, there isn't the trial and error aspect. Like we know this works. We know how to find your blockages. <laughs> we know how to deal with whatever they are. And then we can just move quickly. Um, for me, you know, when you're, it was much like, thank God I had you um, as my mindset coach. Um, I don't know how far, I, it probably would have taken me a lot longer if I didn't have you. But um, but it definitely still took me longer than it takes our clients who actually have like, oh, here's just what I need to show up and do every day just to build the brain pattern and just to, you know, and here's the obstacles that are coming up. Let's deal with them right now. For me, sometimes I didn't even know something was an obstacle until much later. And I see that with some of you guys, like you're you're bringing in some questions and I can see where the obstacles are, but you're 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 missing it. Um, so I was dealing with the same exact thing because when when we're programmed in a certain way, we we don't even it's hard to have that awareness um, and we can build over time. But some of us don't want to spend 20 years trying to fix this or 10 years or five years or whatever it is. Some of us just we want to move on with our lives and be done with this chapter. So um, and that was me. I was like, I want to be done with this. But at the same time, it's still definitely probably I mean, it took me longer than had I had a program like ours to go through. Um, like the program that I've created is what I wish I had. So this could have taken me 10 weeks instead of five years. Um, um, but even with the best mindset coach. Right. So. So I think that that what ended up because in the beginning right maybe i wasn't binging the way i always had and i the way the how i'm going to describe i want to describe actually can i just take a second to describe like how the binges themselves changed maybe do you think that of, would be of course i think that's a good idea because we're it's going to be impossible for us in the time limit we have to explain every single thing and every, every single thing i know and i want to but i'm also trying to be mindful of the time as well but i think it's important but what i think would be like you said let's kind of let's see the transition and kind of put the add some some of the practices that led to it kind of like right. uh, little preview right. of the how also yeah so the the first thing i'll say is that the binges right they're a side they're they're the symptoms right they're the symptoms so as the relationship with food changes the binges will change so as you're doing these practices around your relationship with food you don't need to try to control binges because those things th that that's the symptom right that's not the problem it's the symptom 
right, the problem. They, they weren't because they weren't, they weren't really your relationship with food, were they? Because you don't really have a relationship with food. It's my relationship with myself when food is present. That's what we're really right. getting at here is it's not really you and food. It's you and you with food. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this is between you and you. And then food's just kind of there. So, so this is what I noticed for myself is that as I was healing this relationship with myself and my own reactions to food, um, to be more technically correct, is that my, um, first of all, the, ur the urges would still be there, right? So the urges might still come up. Why? Because not all of my restriction was completely gone. I had spent a number of years, you know, doing different various forms of restriction. And naturally, I was still thinking that way, even though some of it would leave, right? It's not that you can just like turn your head to the side and all those old thoughts just fall out, as convenient as that would be. Instead, we, we, we evolve over time. So in the beginning, there were still some thoughts of restriction. In fact, um, I don't know if you remember, but I, I did actually pretty well for a while not restricting. And then I did that little workout plan thing that had the, the meal plan with it. And as soon as I got on that, I was craving donuts. I was craving like all kinds of sweets. And I was like, let me get off of this plan because it's fueling all the binges. Um, and it was low carb too. So it was fueling sugar binges, especially. So anyway, um, so what I found was over time, as I, first of all, the, the urges were still present, but what did change was the, um, there wasn't so much helplessness. I didn't dread or fear the urges anymore because some of their power was already taken away. So even if I felt something like that, I would recognize it and say, oh, that's residue or, oh, that's, of course I felt that because that's, I restricted right there earlier today. So it makes sense that I would feel that. So my mindset started to shift from something's wrong with me. I'm out of control. I'm powerless. I'm helpless. Someone help me. And instead I shifted to, I'm actively working on this and I know what, what fuels binges. I know what helps me uh, let go of these thoughts and let, let go of these feelings. So even if I have those feelings and thoughts, I don't have to fear them. I just have to treat them as opportunities to practice using my tools. So the fact that I would say the biggest shift that started happening was the fear around binging, the fear around cravings, the fear around, for me, nighttime eating was a big thing. The fear around nighttime um, started to dissipate. Now, was I automatically the world's healthiest eater? No, um, because for me, a lot of the foods that I was restricting were sugary foods, were pizza, were fried foods, were, you know, so I needed to, um, I needed to allow these and for me to to instead of trying to avoid them, I needed to face them in a productive way. So in the time that I was doing that, I was working on my relationship with myself in relation to those things. And then over time, I would say the, um, the lore of those types of foods, I started to see them more. The more I would do these practices, the more I would just kind of see them for what they really were. Like, oh, well, that's just a combination of sugar and yeah. flour. And like, it's kind of, it's like kind of demystifies them, right? I always like to use the example it's, it's of the, it's the, yeah, it's the Wizard of the, Oz. The Wizard of Oz. Right. It's just a guy like pulling the strings, and right. and that's that's how it felt. Was I? It was kind of like you know being in 
like watching some horror movie initially and then you kind of see like oh well that's that actor and that's the set and that's the scene and that's you know the special effects and it and it takes the fear out of it because you can see how your brain is working you can see like oh this is my physical reaction this is my emotional reaction and you can see it all in play from a much calmer safer place so what happens is the fear around all of it changes and once the fear is gone or the fear at least you know, lessons, now your mind is so much more accessible. Like your calm, strong, stable mind is so much more accessible because your fear isn't driving you back into the, into the sympathetic nervous system anymore. Right. And that's what so, happened. So for you, basically, instead of running away from the food, which is what the restriction is, this is why it's very confusing to a lot of the people. Yes. They, they say, how can you solve the problem with food without restricting it? Like if I don't restrict it, then that's the fear, right? We heard that many times. If, if I'm not going to restrict, I'm going to binge. But you understand that the restriction is the act of fear. It's like with the Wizard of Oz when Dorothy runs away from the wizard in the beginning, when they're afraid of the wizard. And when you run away from that monster, that so-called monster, you are it stays a monster, but when you face it and see it through and listen and you do it with your practice that you're developing, it demystifies it. It's not, it's not a monster. It's a small guy with the ropes, with the machines. Right, exactly. And that's, that, I would say that's the same thing. And Amy, Amy just described it really well. I'd like to just read what Amy wrote. She said, for me, what started changing with, with the binges was the amount of food I ate decreased. Yeah, I would say that would be the same for me as well. The power of the binge decreased. Absolutely. Same, same here. And I had less or no shame or guilt after the binge. I would definitely agree with that. And I want to emphasize, excuse me, that um, Amy also said, I felt more connected to my life rather than feeling so isolated in my pain. And I would definitely, I would say amen to all of that. And thank you for sharing that, Amy. Um, because the shame after the binge, little to my knowledge back then, was also fueling the next binge, right? Because um, it fueled the next restriction. So, uh, so what I would find is even if I did binge, and even if like, whether it was a big binge or some, uh, some lesser version of it, I, the, the, the hopelessness did not come anymore. The despair did not come because I was able to say, okay, that was me feeling out of control, but my tools are still here and I'm still here to practice them and use them. So let's begin. <laughs> and, and, and that's, you know, how you, that's how you get out of that cycle and you start creating the new cycle, right? We talked about this in last week. You start with the misstep, let's call the misstep the binge. Then we can become more calm. We can reflect on we can reflect on it. We can learn from it, and then we get back to our growth and our practice. We practice, we grow, and then we get another misstep, and then we make it through the cycle. And what happens over time, and this is definitely what happened to me, is I would still let's say the bottom like here, like see these like bottom little points. Those I would call the dips, right? So those let's call them the binges. Like oh, that's when I binged. But then when I learned from it, I would go up another step. Oh, then I binge again, but then I learn from that and I go up another step. So now where I am now, even if I have a dip today, right, this where I am now is so much higher than look, even where my highest point was in the beginning, even my lowest point now is higher than my highest point back then. So so that's how the how your progress can also look when you adopt that mentality of, OK, 
I don't need to beat myself. I don't need to criticize myself. I recognize that I had a misstep here. I'm in a dip. So let's see what I can learn from it and gather. And how can I use my tools to get me to my next success? So let's really, let's talk about that. So let's really, before we go into the Q&A, let's really talk about how does it look right now? Are you carrying the binge eating? Do you still feel it there? Is that, did it shift? Did it change? Is it even there at all? Like, how does it look now for Katie? Like if you're describing it to old Katie, like the, in the beginning, like this is what's going to happen. This is the results of this practice. <laughs> Listen up, old Katie. You don't even know how far you're going to come. <laughs> very um, sassy. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think the, I think, well, first of all, as of right now, um, I feel like I've actually even reached recently kind of a new point where I'm at with food um, because I'm actually noticing the the place where I'm at now. First of all, I don't struggle with binge urges. Um, I, it's not that I've never experienced, like if, if someone, you know, started cooking pizza in my house, I'm going to smell it and be like, oh, I want that. But it's nothing beyond just like, oh, that sounds good. You know, just like how, you know, anybody would be like, oh, that smells good. I'll have some, but, um, for me, it's, it's not, there's no impairment of my functioning. I don't feel like it consumes any extra thoughts. I feel like my thoughts now, I still deal with, um, compulsive and obsessive, uh, tendencies, right? This is like my, uh, you know, part of my makeup, I think, you know, since being a kid is I've dealt with compulsion and, and obsession and, and stuff like that. So it's not like I never experience thoughts that that I feel like I can't just be like, oh, you're not welcome here. Get out of here. Like, I don't that's not how it is. But um, but it's not about food. First of all, I don't struggle with food anymore. And also I'm finding myself now, which I know uh, someone sent in this question of like, yeah, but how do I start to get myself wanting healthier things? Because I feel like if I let myself eat whatever I want, then I'm only going to eat unhealthy foods. And for me, the beginning kind of looked like that, like the beginning, because I was um, uh, like, oh, well, now I can let myself have it. And I, it was kind of like that rebellion, you know, from the restriction is, oh, well, now I can have it. So let me have it. And there was some of that in the beginning, but it passed fairly quickly. And it does for pretty much everyone we work with. We've seen that same sort of pattern happen. And we always say, don't worry, this is going to pass. Just focus on your practice. And it always does. Um, but now I'm actually noticing my desire for healthier foods and my desire to feel good and to check in and to, um, I'm noticing myself so much more connected to my body than I've ever been. And I'm much kinder to myself around eating than I've ever been. Um, I don't have binge urges. I don't have uh, obsessive thoughts about food anymore. Um, I view food as something that is here to nourish me and give me some, you know, taste pleasure and feeling pleasure. Um, but nothing really beyond that. I just don't see it as, you know, a huge important thing the way that I used to. Not that food isn't important. Obviously, we need to eat to live. I, that's not the way I mean that. But in a sense of like, my life is not revolving around this. My mind is not revolving around this anymore at all. It really isn't. I um, mean, not only that, but 
it would almost kind of have to be that way, right? Because I'm working with people who are constantly telling me about their binges and about their foods and about their addictions. And I used to be triggered by those things back in the day. Whereas now I don't have, like, I'm not getting off the phone with our clients and being like, oh, they talked about pizza so much. Now I need to have pizza. Like I couldn't be in this line of work if I was triggered by that stuff anymore. I'm not at all. So I think that that in itself, at least for me, has been a testament to um, how empowered, I guess, I feel compared to how I used to feel. All right, so let's, uh, that's great. I think uh, old Katie would be happy to hear that. <laughs> old Katie really... wouldn't even believe that, but it's happening. All right. And, and I expect and it to continue to shift, you know, like maybe in the future, something else will change. And, you know, my eating patterns, you know, as we age, I think these things kind of tend to change. Um, but I'm not attached to any outcome anymore. My goal here is, stay connected to your body, listen to your body, um, question yourself, stay, keep a curious mindset, make sure you're present when you're acting, when you're eating. And that's, you know, that's right. it. So, so from my perspective, by the way, because I've seen the entire practice and just so everybody understands from a mindset place, how does it look like? Uh, your relationship with yourself has turned dramatically. Yeah. Like it, it's not barely recognizable, like the way you you talk to yourself, the way you interact with yourself, the way you feel your own feelings, the way you feel your body, the way you you interact with yourself when food is around. Like it's completely different because it shows trust. You are trusting your intuition. You are trusting your body. When your body says it's full, you're listening to it. When your body right. wants to eat. You listen to it. So, so the communication and the trust has been huge. I want, yeah, the, you hit the nail on the head just then with trust. And I wanted to make sure that we emphasize that trust piece because, um, and like, let this be the last thing that we're talking about before the Q and A, because I want to be mindful of time. Um, but the trust piece guys that comes with time as well. And for me, like, even if some crazy force came over me tomorrow and I had my world's biggest binge tomorrow. There would be no fear around it because my trust has built. It's going to be very easy for me to move on um, and, and move past it. And, and that's the thing is that's why there's no fear anymore because the trust is so much stronger than the fear was, is. All right. Fantastic. Right, Yes, let's do it. So right. we have some, uh, like Katie mentioned, we have some uh, questions and they are very common things we hear and it's very similar. So I want to kind of go over them. We have five questions. I'll try to go through all of them. So let's start with the first one. <clears throat> so someone says, we're not saying people's names, right? No, don't use people's names. Okay. So I know you're, I know you don't advocate diets, but I want to go down a couple of dress sizes for a special family event in January. So try to work out the best and quickest way to do this. So the question is basically, yeah, but what if I do want to lose weight? Like, don't you have to have a diet for that? Don't you have to have kind of strategy like that? How does that work if you're without restrictions and without that? Right. So this is so this question, it was always the question that I was asking myself as old Katie. Right. So it was never about, you know, how do I have 
a long-term sustainable, healthy relationship with food. It was, hey, I got to be in my bikini next month. So how do I, how do I, or I'm having photos taken next month, or I'm seeing family, or how do I get my body how I want it to look by this certain date? And that is the exact line of thinking that led me into the binge cycle again and again and again for years until I started asking myself different questions. And I think that um, what we're really wanting, right? Because first of all, let's acknowledge here, and I'm not going to claim to be an expert in this, but I also do know among most of you, right, that there are 10,001 ways to lose weight, right? If you have a deadline where you need to lose some weight by, we can get it done, right? We can, we can put ourselves on this diet or this diet or this exercise plan or this weight loss plan or this restriction or this, we can do, there's any number of things you can do to lose weight efficiently. Um, however, what are we actually talking about here when it comes to weight is most people who I talk to when you guys write in and, and ask these questions, you're telling me, you're not telling me that you can't lose weight. You're telling me that not only can you lose weight, but you've done it so many times before. And now you feel like you can't do it this time or you gained the weight back. Or So the complaints that I'm always hearing aren't about, I can't lose weight. It's about how do I remove myself from this cycle essentially? And how in that process, can I get my weight to be, you know, sustained? How do I keep the weight off? Right. Because if you like I can give you an exercise plan and a, and a restrictive diet plan and you can lose your the weight by January. Right. Totally. I'm not going to do that. But but any any number of people could give you a plan that would help you do that. The question, though, then is what then? What after that? Because if your pattern like mine would be to lose the weight, be super proud of yourself and be like, all right, here we go. I did it. But then to gain the weight back and to have the relapse and to go through that cycle and then to go through, oh, my God, now I need to buy new clothes again. I, oh, my God, people are going to see that I've gained the weight back. It's so embarrassing. And to go through that cycle again. So how many more times are you willing to go through that process if that's the pattern you've gone through before? Right. Because we can know, you know, what's what's that Einstein quote? Insanity is is the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, expecting different results. So in order to do in order to achieve different results, we need to do something different. But what needs to be different in, in this type of situation is the question. The question needs to be different for there to be sustainable weight loss, because when you're listening to your body. Right. And you're no longer struggling with binge eating. Your weight can your body's smart. <laughs> your weight will find its way to equilibrium, whether it takes, you know, especially keep in mind, if you've done years of restrictive dieting before, it can take up to a year for your metabolism to recover from one diet. So that's why we need to start thinking in, and I'm not saying it takes that long. We've seen, you know, obviously fast results, people are different, but the, the question needs to shift. Because if you're wanting something long-term that's sustainable, we need to change the question to how do I heal my relationship with food so that weight is not an issue again? 
So I don't have to deal with this anymore for the rest of my life. I don't know about you guys, but when I was body obsessed and weight obsessed, it took, it consumed my mind. I didn't have the energy for other focuses because that was so consuming. Now, if we're asking ourselves a question of how do I create something long-term I'm, and I'm talking lifelong, like all the, everything that we promote here, they're lifelong things, not things for, for finite periods of time. Like we're promoting lifelong results. Okay. So if, if you want to create lifelong results for yourself, then the question also needs to be along those lines. It needs to be connected to the long-term vision instead of the short-term vision of how do I lose the weight by this event? Because I assure you, you can, but the question is, is the way that you're doing it going to send you back, backwards into your yo-yo cycle? Or is it going to fuel your success for the future where you don't even have to ask these questions in the future because your weight is a non-issue? And your eating is a non-issue and binges just don't even come up for you anymore. And that's ultimately what we're here to do. I used to work in the weight loss industry. I did um, for a number of years and I've created weight loss, you know, programs and, and I've directed them. And, you know, there's it's not that there's anything wrong, but it's knowing what problem you're really solving here, because if you keep solving if you keep coming with these short-term solves for this long-term problem, the long-term problem is only gonna become more and more long-term, especially if those short-term solutions are fueling the problem more. If your short-term solution is diet and restriction, it's only gonna fuel the longer-term problem of binge eating. So the question really is, how soon do you wanna come out of this? If you wanna go a few more rounds of restriction, you can, but expect what will happen. Right. Expect that there will be a backlash. Expect that there will be, you know, that I don't love the word relapse, but you know what I mean. There will be right. the binge that comes post restriction. So let's start thinking longer term, because the, ultimately, if we're talking about efficiency, it is not efficient to keep going around in circles. Right. And most and of us have been in this cycle for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. And that is not efficient. That is not an efficient way to lose weight. If you lose weight fast, but then gain it back and then lose it fast, but then gain it back and lose it. That's not efficient. Efficient is doing things properly when you start. Looking, setting yourself up with a plan and doing things properly and sticking with your long-term vision. And that's ultimately what we promote is the long-term vision of freedom where food is a non-issue and therefore your weight is also a non-issue. So, yeah, that, that's a very good point. And one thing I want to add to that is think about this question is, like you said, it's really about a long-term solution. In the end, it's about trust. That's the important part. Like you say, you, if you want to be able to exercise regularly, you want to be eating healthy, you want to have a healthier lifestyle, that can never work until you actually have, you can actually have a partnership that is sustainable with yourself. It's like saying, it's like saying, I argue with my what my partner and spouse all the time. We can't agree on anything. Is there any business plan you can show me that we can start a family together? Uh, anything I can say to him, her, to keep this family going? But you don't trust each other, so it doesn't matter. Everything else you want to build on top 
of a found of a found a weak foundation, it doesn't matter. It could be made of gold, silver. It could be light. It can be heavy. It doesn't matter. The foundation will crumble at some point or another. So Correct. exactly what Katie is saying. It's the trust that is important. So whatever you want to do, eating healthy, exercising, the trust is the the most important component. And this is exactly what we're talking about. This is exactly Katie what you did. And now it's so much easier to be consistent in going to the gym, to doing your exercises, to eating healthy, because you're mindful and you're communicating, you have a proper partnership. But where everybody tends to, in the diet mentality and diet industry, we want to skip this part. We want to get straight to the end. And then we're surprised it doesn't happen. Right. When you skip that part, you're embarking on a much slower and more maddening path. Oh, it takes forever. And (laughs) so let's continue because we, we really want to go through these questions. So the second one is... A big fear of mine is that is what will I do with my thoughts if they are not consumed with food? It's been so long, right? Basically, I've been doing this for so, such a long time. All my friends are dieting. My my environment, like if I stop doing that, now it's just me. Now what? Right, right. So this the good the nice thing about this fear is first of all, let's just acknowledge what it is. It's a fear, and when embarking on a new path. Um, fears, of course, will come up. And it's great that we're, we're addressing it and acknowledging it because you're going to have, whoever's listening, you're going to have your own fears. You're going to have your fear of failure. You're going to have your fear of success. You're going to have a fear of, will it work for me? Nothing works for me. What am I going to do with my thoughts? Like we, All these fears will come up when you're embarking on a new path. Now, the thing about fear, first of all, is let's acknowledge the fear and allow the fear to be there, but let's not take the fear too seriously. Let's not take fears as truths, right? So, so, um, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but I'm, I'm putting out this energy of, of, um, allowing, allowing the fear to be there, but also not identifying too much with the fear, not letting the fear dictate your decisions, not letting the fear stop you from, you know, taking the next step. So so let's acknowledge that fear of what will I do with my thoughts if they're not consumed with food? Um, or what will I do with all the time that I have now if I'm not thinking about food, right? So, so similar questions here. So first of all, let me say this. Your thoughts will not change fast enough that you will feel out of control with it. What ends up, the way you change your thoughts and the way the mind rewires itself through these practices is, first of all, um, you're going to hear the old thoughts continue to surface while the new thoughts are still coming up, while while you're generating the new thoughts. So for a while, you're going to be, and, you know, I still experience some of the old thoughts, right? You're you're going to be generating your new thoughts, but you're still going to also be experiencing your old thoughts as well. So it's not like you, like in our program, for example, it's not like someone joins our program, we flip a switch and then all of your thoughts fall out of your head and you don't have these thoughts and now you have to figure out how to fill your brain with something new. No, you're focused on your healing. You're focused on creating patterns that serve you. You're focused on your own personal awareness. You're focused on calming yourself. You're focused on building these habits, right, that ultimately they're going to drive you to your new focuses, right? Whether you're now focusing your attention more on 
your family or more attention on your social life or more attention on your career or a passion project or volunteer work that you're doing. Um, maybe other elements of health that you want to focus on now that food isn't slowing you down. So things will come like there are many things to occupy the mind in this world. And I, I think the fear here is the change, right? It's, it's, well, I'm, I'm used to thinking about this. So what am I going to think about now? But this is the kind of thing that you'll find. I think Amy, actually, if you're still listening, um, I think that was one of your fears in the beginning um, that you mentioned one time when we were live. Uh, but maybe not, I'm, I might be misremembering, but, but my, my advice for this would be trust that as you calm yourself and as you gain your own clarity, which it will naturally happen, everyone we've ever seen use these principles has gained significant clarity and calm and peace and stability of mind. When you have that, you start to see your direction. And this is something that comes process that comes with time. So it's not like you need to say, all right, here's my list of things that I need to think about to fill my mind when it becomes empty after I've emptied out all of the food thoughts. That's not how it works. Instead, what's going to happen is it's going to be a gradual shift and you're going to find yourself drawn to new types of things to think about, um, whether it's your family or friends or yourself or your own health or your own, you know, it might just be different elements of your health or different elements of self-improvement and personal development. Like I personally am very drawn to, and I always have been drawn to personal development, spiritual growth, um, growth in general. I just love progress. And, um, and for me, my obsession with food always felt like I was being progress oriented or personal development oriented. So if someone told me I needed to let that go, I'd be like, well, what do I focus on? But it turns out that there's other ways to progress myself. And there's other areas of, of my life that I can I can focus on. And, and for you, right, I can't tell you what you're going to be focused on. But in your life, you're going to get that, that clarity gradually. It's going to come gradually. And that's part of the reason why in our program we structure it so there's gradual change because then the ego isn't threatened because if the ego gets too uncomfortable too fast, there is that relapse. There is that rebound. There is that rebellion. And we don't want to fuel the rebellion. We want everyone to be content, ego included. Right. So we want to we want to challenge, but we are not looking to just toss you out of your comfort zone where you're like scrambling. We don't want, ever want to create that situation. So your your thoughts will change gradually and you will get to select what they are, is the bottom line. Beautiful. So let's move on to the next question. Is it really possible for binge urges to be completely gone? So basically, it's you kind of answered it before, but I think just a little point, a little nugget on that. Is it really like, is it there forever? Is it just kind of in the back of the head, always possible to come back? Or it's really, is it really behind you right now? Right. So, um, so first of all, yes, absolutely, it's possible. And we see it all the time. This is not unique to me. Um, I am not a unique or special person. In fact, I would say that I probably had more obstacles than a lot of our clients had um, in terms of the, the um, 
frequency that I was binging and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, some people that we work with have been dealing it for much longer than I did because of our age differences. But even then, it is very much possible for the binge urges to be gone. But we also, I think, in a way, to answer this question properly, need to sort of define what binge urges are. Because would it be the same to say, oh, do you never experience a craving, right? or a hankering for something. Like what's the difference between a binge urge versus those things? And I definitely can say I don't have urges to sit down and stuff my face and numb myself anymore. Those are gone. Um, if they, if, if I experienced that one day, there would, I would not have any fear. So I would say more importantly, the fear of binge urges is gone. The powerlessness around binge urges is gone. And the more you remove the helplessness and the powerlessness and the shame and the guilt and the fear, the less the binge urges have to stand on. So we're not really centering our focus on getting rid of urges per se, right? Or cravings because we can't control when a craving comes, right? I might drive past the Cinnabon and I can smell it. Oh, and now there's, a, there's the feeling of a craving, right? So we're not necessarily trying to control cravings in the sense that we're trying to control the external environment. Instead, what we're focused on controlling is our reactions to binge urges, to cravings, to hankerings, to desires. Because when you control your reactions, what ends up happening is then you can start to re have real control. Then it's no longer, oh, well, I can't drive that way past the Cinnabon, or I can't see anyone who eats Cinnabon, or I can't see anyone who, you know, whatever, think of offering me a treat, right? When yeah. we're trying to control that way, it's not sustainable because we live in the world. But if we're focused on controlling our own reactions and we let that be our sole focus, then we can remove helplessness around binge binge urges. We can remove powerlessness around binge urges. We can remove, um, we can remove uh, fear of binge urges, shame about binges. Um, and the more we do that, the less we're fueling the binges with. Also, the, the less, the more, uh, the less we restrict, the less binge urges will even come up in the first place. So I would say one of the biggest things, you know, is my restrict my restriction of myself, the scarcity mentality, the diet mentality has gone away, which is why the binge urges have also gone away. So notice how the binge they don't stand on their own. They're always connected to something. They're connected to the to to the restriction. They're connected to the emotions as well. So the more we can handle the restriction element that fuels binge urges, and the more we can control and and um, develop healing around the emotional aspect, then nothing's fueling the binge urges anymore. If we just stop fueling it, the fire will go out on its own. We just have to stop fueling it. So we're teaching tools to stop fueling it and to create that healing. But the binge urges, they don't come out of thin air. We create them. Whether we realize it or not, we are creating them with our own reactions, with our own thoughts, with our own patterns. Does that make sense? Right. Yes, 100%. And also, it's important to mention because because all these binge, uh, binge eating and binge urges that you described, described so perfectly, it, like you said, it's a symptom. And it's a symptom of like that Wizard of Oz monster. Once it's not longer a monster, what happened afterwards, it becomes your ally. 
Right. So once your your mind is not your enemy anymore, and you can actually work a, a, a partnership and a relationship that is based on trust, then it's no longer an enemy. There's no there. It's the same energy of the urges. They're just manifesting in something that is yeah. an ally, helpful energy. Like this exactly. is this is the point. It's it's not something you're running away from. That's where we're seeing the core of the questions. Like I'm running away from my right. my and my that's own what Sandra, did you see the question that just came in from Sandra? Nope. Um, she said, uh, "Well, actually, there's two questions." So she said, first of all, how long did it take for you to feel that you became a normal eater?" I'll tell you, Sandra, because she also asked the second question: "Do you feel like a normal eater now?" My eating is so it's much better, better, better. <laughs> than 99.9% .9 of the see people I see eating outside. Right. Like, I think that my relationship with food is far healthier than how I ever expected normal eaters to be. And we see that with our clients too. We see that all the time. Like when, like um, when we were talking, I won't use names, um, but when we were talking on our last grad call to somebody, and she was saying how not only is like the binging not an issue before, but that she's seeing herself um, having a, an even healthier relationship with food than like people around her who she right. was viewing as the normal eaters before. So, so not only is it possible and does it not take very long. And like I said in the beginning, it took me longer than it would take, you know, someone who's just following the protocol. Um, because that was something I needed to learn in a trial and error type of way, whereas now we don't need to try an error anymore. So, um, Sandra, so Sandra, to your question, no, you're not a normal eater. You're something much better than that. <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in a very positive, I don't mean that in, right. in an egotistical or a judgmental way. Right. Um, I mean <laughs> that in a way of gratitude, as in, thank goodness, I feel so much more relaxed. And when I'm sitting with other people, um, and they're, you know, they have freneticism around their eating or they're um, mindless or whatever. I can honestly feel like I have a strong relationship with myself around food now. Um, and it didn't take long. I would say in total from, you know, the worst of the worst, you know, when I started the, the, to actively try to heal myself to now it's, it's only been, uh, I don't know if, uh, between five and six years, but I wouldn't even say that it took me five or six years to be like, I've been, I would have considered myself normal years ago. Um, I don't think it, it took me that long. What did Amy just say? Amy said, I think it only took me about six weeks to feel quote unquote normal, maybe two months. And even before that, I could tell the shift to normal was happening. And that's the thing is it, it's not like, you know, you're running and then you cross a finish line and you see like, oh, the race is over it's you start to see like oh this is how it's going to look and i'm on the path and and, and it doesn't, right. there a, lot, doesn't a lot of the time a lot of the times you're noticing it when it's already happened like a while after it happened right like where so, something will happen like i remember somebody she was like you told me in the beginning that i would forget that there was chocolate in the cupboard because that was her thing was chocolate and she was like i didn't even realize it but a few days ago I bought chocolate, put it in the cupboard, and I didn't even realize that I forgot about it. So, so, so it's not like she was like, "Oh, I crossed the finish line, and now I'm normal." But she's seeing these these signs and positive symptoms of, "Oh, this is this is 
I am coming to, you know, normalcy. I'm coming to peace. I am coming to, I'm healing myself and I'm seeing progress. And because I'm seeing it, all I have to do is just keep doing what I'm doing. So um, I wouldn't say, you know, it took me very long and I, it takes our clients much, much faster. And that's, and Amy just said the relief I, and hope I, I felt began around, Oh, day two. <laughs> and that's the thing is, is, and that experience that I had with that, uh, I told you guys about the experience with the chocolate where I was present and mindful for the first time. And I saw, Oh, and that for me was significant. And that for me was like, Oh, I see how this is going to work. I'm starting to understand. Um, so the shift does not have to take long at all. And I definitely feel much better than normal now. <laughs> all right. So so let's move on into the other. Uh, I think we only have two questions left, right? Right. So, right. She, she asked it in a very fun way. But the, the essence of the, yeah, how did you get over uh, your brain always wanting to go back to the old habits, our brain like its old familiar grows. Is it true what they say that old habits are hard to break? So basically yeah. the question is, is it possible to really go beyond it? Which I think you answered, but I think the deeper part of this question is like, how hard is this going to be? Like, like, how, <laughs> like, what are you asking me to do here, lady? <laughs> Um, well, I'll answer that question by saying, whatever you're doing now, it's going to be much easier than that. Because I can tell you from experience and having gone through the process and even through the little meltdowns and through the tears and all that stuff, nothing was harder than being stuck and feeling out of control. Nothing is harder than that. Nothing is harder than worrying about food constantly, thinking about food constantly, forcing yourself to eat, you know, uh, restrictive diets. That is incredibly difficult to do. And while there are inherent challenges to any kind of personal development, it it pales in comparison to the difficulty of living in that prison. And and one of the things that, um, you know, like it kind of even circles back to that that first question of like, what's the fear? Like, what will I do with my thoughts if they're not thinking about food? Like to me, that's like, well, if I'm not in prison anymore, like how do I fill my schedule? <laughs> um, like it's a great problem to have <laughs> um, if I if you're not consumed with food. So so one of the things, first of all, that I'll say in terms of, you know, if I'm going into like, uh, I guess a little bit of the nitty gritty part of the question, um, you know, how do you get past your brain wanting to go back to the old habits? Um, yes, the brain likes the familiar. And that's why we're always advocating for um, the any amount principle and for progress over perfection, because the, the mind seeks comfort the most and the most frantically when it feels like it's been thrown out of its comfort zone. So it's going to crave old habits if you're violently pulling yourself from the old habits. That's when the cravings for the old habits will be there the most. So when you're applying this any amount principle and focusing on your progress instead of the perfection, it gives the ego space. The ego doesn't feel threatened. The ego doesn't feel like you're killing it. Instead, it's like, oh, okay. I can get on board with this. So we want to have our mind. We want to be working with our mind and our brain, not against it. 
and we want to be working with our body and not against it, which is why we are promoting the body listening, but we're also promoting these principles such as any amount. So this is not a one-time thing. We're constantly redirecting the brain. So just like, I don't know if you guys have ever tried to focus on something. So maybe you, let's give a simple example, like going to a, a two minute meditation. Let's say you're sitting and you're gonna do a two minutes of meditation, right? So you're setting the intention of, while I'm sitting here, I'm gonna just focus on, let's say my breath, and I'm just gonna focus on my breath and meditate on my breath, and that's gonna be my focus for two whole minutes. Okay, so let's say I'm sitting here, and that's my intention, okay. One second passed. Oh, now I'm already thinking about uh, what I'm going to have for lunch. Oh, now I'm thinking about what I'm going to say to this friend who offended me this morning. Oh, now I'm thinking about, oh, what am I doing tomorrow? What's on my schedule? Should I go to the gym tomorrow? Eh, I don't know. Maybe I'll go to a fitness class. Oh, maybe I'll. So already the mind wandered, right? It, I, I was trying to set the intention for the new habit of focusing on my breath, but the mind went off into its old pattern of thinking without focus, right? So so the mind will always be pulled away, right? And the idea is to just redirect it. So instead of saying like, oh, you're bad because you started thinking about tomorrow instead of your breath, instead I'll say, oh, okay, the mind wandered, the mind got distracted. Now I just bring it back to what I was focusing on. Oh yeah, it was my breath. Okay. Breathe a couple breaths. Oh, now there goes the mind again. Now I'm thinking about, oh, did I empty the litter box today. Oh, did I lock the door? And, and the mind goes off again. So what do we do? We redirect it and bring it back. So, so in a way, right, we could, I think anyone could make the case, right, that old habits are hard to break, but do they have to be hard to break is my question. Do, does it have to actually be hard or is, is there, you know, I think there's always going to be an inherent challenge when we're challenging ourselves, right? That's the essence of it. But my question is, do we have to add our own suffering on top of that? Do we have to add our own drama? Do we have to add all of this fear and, and, and drama and suffering to something that's already, um, that already inherently has challenge because we're changing something? So yes, I would say, we could view it as hard, right? But if we're going to view that as hard, it's only fair to view staying in the prison much harder. It's much harder to live in a prison than to be free. Right. So, th so this is a beautifully put, Katie. And, uh, and really, like you said, it's really about as soon as you accept that you're, you're, you're changing and you also let, accept that you are letting go of the old habits, and you building the trust and the partnership with your body in your own mind, then it becomes much easier because the body trusts you. The less you trust yourself, the harder it is to trans transition from an old familiar because familiar means safe. Right. And the, the more you, the, everything we're doing in the program is based on showing you that you can trust yourself and you can trust your intuition and you can build on top of that. And once you have that foundation, shifting habits, that's just, it's just habit. How many times we say it in our program? Oh, that's just residue. That's just how your mind used to think. So right. you just keep reinforcing it moving forward. So exactly. And, that, and, and Amy just added also, and that's where celebrating wins comes in too, because it emphasizes the continual progress, however gradual. And that's part of the mindset, right? Is we need to 
Um, we need to not only, we're not even focused really on the destruction of the old. We're focused on the creation of the new. And that's why it's important to have that vision of what you're creating. Because when you're creating the new, what ends up happening is the old falls away on its own, which is very easy for the ego to deal with compared to when you're trying to destroy the old by force. That's very difficult for the ego to get on board and self-sabotage will much be much more likely to happen that way. So that's why we want to focus on creating the new, letting the old fall away on its own. Right. So let's go to the last question. And there's something we see a lot and I'm pretty sure everybody would listen to that would understand can understand because we kind of addressed it. Can you speak about sugar addiction? Understand that, understand that this might work for some people, but as sugar addict, I can't be trusted around sugar or I will lose control. And we heard that a lot. Like people Wait, say, I just want to repeat that because on my end, you cut out a little bit. So let me just okay. read that question again. Um, so questions about sugar addiction. Uh, she says, I understand that this might work for some people, but as a sugar addict, I cannot be trusted around sugar or I will lose control. And we actually just got the same question again from Sandra. Thank you for, for saying you said for a long time, I felt this could be an imbalance in the brain and that meds would be necessary to help control the urges because as you know, the urges would be unbearable to handle. It felt like an addiction. I started to read and research online and it was stated that food addiction is real and that all sugar and flour and processed foods must, must be cut out. Are you still able to enjoy certain foods like sugar or processed foods in normal amounts without triggering a full-on binge? And if so, do you? So, so um, Sandra, right, so, so Sandra really... this question, and obviously it's a common question. So let's take a little time with this right now. Right. So Sandra really put this question in a beautiful way, but the, this is very good. Uh, so let, yeah, just jump so, straight into it. So I'll first of all uh, raise my hand and say, I definitely also used to identify as a sugar addict. I see Amy's also raising her hand saying, I identified completely as a sugar addict before doing our program. Um, so, so let me talk about sugar addiction. Let me, first, let me actually- let By the way, this can, be, this can be an entire episode on its own, so- It really could, maybe one day- Everybody, everybody stay tuned for that. <laughs> um, well, let me do my best here. So, so first of all, I'll talk about it from, uh, right. Yes, Sandra. We, we've seen this with our clients as well. She said, I even entered 12 step programs in hopes of recovering and the sponsors would ask that I follow a, a rigid food plan and it would spin me deeper into the cycle. So, so not only uh, that, but there are programs out there that do say, cut out the flour, cut out the sugar, cut out anything that has chemically addictive properties like processed food as well, because it's going to fuel your addiction. So we know the, 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 the mindset behind that. Um, so I think the way I'll choose to answer this question today will firstly be from just a principle perspective, like going through in general, like what we've found, but then I can also answer it from my personal experience. Um, specifically, Sandra, your question about, do I eat processed foods and do I eat sugar in normal quantities? Um, so the first thing that I'll share actually, uh, is I did write a post on this, uh, December 15th of last year, which is still out there on the internet. Um, if you'd like, actually, maybe I can even share my screen with this post because it does outline quite a bit that I'll say in my first half of this answer. So let's see if I can do that. Um, in the meantime, I would add, I got it. um, oh, okay. oh, sorry, go ahead. 
Okay, yeah, just something I wanted to add. Like, uh, if the restrictions were really effective, if you if you just cut out the sugar and the flour and the processed food was effective in stopping you from eating sugar and flour and all these processed food, then one you wouldn't be listening to us here. So if they were really that effective, so obviously the risk put all these restrictions, you end up eating them anyway. So might as well do it with the practice and trying to right. try a different technique rather because again, they didn't stop the bench. You ate the sugar anyway. You ate the processed food anyway. Well, so the restriction yeah, and doesn't this, work. Exactly. And this is the angle that we need to address this question from, because if this was a question coming from someone who never really struggled with you know, it hasn't struggled with food for very long, but they were like, oh, I'm feeling addicted or to this one very specific thing. I wouldn't tell them not, hey, if you want to try cutting it out for your whole life and seeing how that works for you, go for it. Um, but the thing is, is when I see this question coming in and also in my own experience, it's not something that, you know, if, if it worked, it would have worked, right? If, if cutting a food out completely worked, like sugar or flour, if that worked, wouldn't have it have worked already, right? So, so there is that question that we need to address there. So what I wanted to go through, I hope you guys can see this, but I'm going to read just in case you can. Um, so, so here's, so first of all, I'm going to talk about food addiction in general, then we'll go down to sugar addiction. So the way I'm seeing it, let me highlight here so you can see where I'm reading. The way I see it, the root sensations beneath all addictions boil down to two primary feelings that we're dealing with here. We've got the compulsion and we've got the obsession. Now, as you guys know, I have lots of experience in this area because I have been <laughs> compulsive and obsessive about many things. So really what we've learned is that it's not necessarily about the object of your addiction, like the food or the alcohol, but rather it's the compulsive or obsessive feeling that you associate with it. So when we keep this in mind and we're looking for long-term solutions for ourselves, right? Because that's what you're here to do, right? You're looking and you're exploring long-term solutions for you. That's going to work for you. Um, is we need to understand, first of all, how you want your life to look like on the other side. Because I knew for me, because I was trying to go long periods without sugar. I was failing at it. You know, after I would complete the challenge, I would go on a binge. But but I, I loved the idea of never eating sugar again. I found that to be a very romantic idea of, oh, I will have all this control and I will never eat food. I will never eat sugar again and all that kind of stuff. But then as I started really questioning, is that what I want? I started seeing no, because what about those situations where there's birthday cake and I just want to have a piece of birthday cake like a regular person, you know? So um, so a lot of this is how do you want your life to look like on the other side? And for me, I wanted my life to feel good. like I wanted to feel regular, right? A lot of us, we don't even aspire to be better. We want to be normal. Now I feel like I've, I've um, I'm setting my sights higher, but but in the beginning, I just wanted to be a normal person who could eat cake and not be thinking about it for the entire day. So, so, so we need to treat our, our, our solutions. We need to ask if these are, are, 
are aligned with what we want our long-term vision to look like. So I give an example when we're talking about like alcohol addiction, drug addiction, right? Abstinence is very is a very well-known protocol. So we and and that's what you know, Overeaters Anonymous I know has part of their program is you know the the abstinence of eating eating certain foods like you just shared, Sandra. So. Um, so abstinence is definitely a major part of many food addiction recovery models. Um, and that's based on the idea, I think, that abstinence is also used in many other addiction models like drinking and like drugs. And people have found success with that. Um, and it makes sense because, right, we don't need alcohol to live. We don't need drugs to live. So it's possible to be abstinent from them. Um, especially since on the other side, you do want to be completely done with it. You're not trying to have alcohol in moderation. You're trying to be done. So it makes sense that abstinence would be the path of choice. But there are other addictions that are, you know, they have more gray areas. So, so I give an example here in my post. I said, all right, so let's talk about sex addiction, right? So not everyone wants to go their whole life without sex. So you could, if you, if you want to have that life, you can practice abstinence, right? But not everyone wants that. Some people just want to have a healthier relationship with sex, but they still want to have sex. So, um, so they might use a different protocol than someone who's choosing abstinence, right? Because they're going to have to they're going to have to face sex and and heal, you know, their relationship with it. Whereas if you're just being abstinent, you can just practice being abstinent. Does that make sense? Um, now food, let's focus on food since that's why we're all here. Food, I acknowledge that it's a unique addiction because not only are there those gray areas, but it's absolutely necessary for survival where there's a lot of addictions out there where, where we don't need them to survive. We don't need sex to survive necessarily. We don't need drugs. We don't need alcohol. You know, food, whether we like it or not, we have to eat to live. So and not only that, and, and, and everybody and, and everybody around you need to eat to live. So there's right. food everywhere. You always go. Yeah, that's a good point that I didn't even think about. Um, so while some methods promote abstinence, I personally, um, and you know, you you guys see where I'm coming from. So keep in mind, I'm sharing my opinion. Uh, while some methods you know, promote abstinence, I don't see this as being the most effective because it still leaves behind this disordered relationship with, with food. So I, I acknowledge that there is, you know, if the, the only circumstance where I would see abstinence as being, you know, a long-term viable solution would be if you're only addicted to like this one very specific food. And if you just cut out that food, then that would solve every problem. But I rarely see that actually being the case with people. Because I know for me, if I cut out those cookies, I'm just going to go for, you know, whatever else is in the store and I'm going to eat peanut butter instead of that. And if I cut out peanut butter, I'm going to eat chips instead of that. If I cut out chips, I'm going to eat pizza instead of that. So there's always going to be the substitute. And I can see it also, you know, a lot of you and me too, when we let go of other addictions, then we turn to food, right? Oh, I quit smoking. Now I'm eating more. I quit drinking. Now I'm eating more because I'm using food in the way that, you know, I can no longer use alcohol or, you know, what I'm talking about. So, but even that gets tricky is cutting out that specific food. So I'm going to use sugar now. Let's get into sugar. Um, I shared in this post, 
I said, I used to consider myself to be highly addicted to sugar. I told you about when I worked in the bakery and how the more I was around all those foods, the more I wanted them. I also, you know, I'm, I'm a reader, I'm a researcher. Um, and I was reading, oh, sugar is very chemically addictive for the brain. And the only way to stop eating sugar is to stop eating sugar. <laughs> so um, I was doing sugar detoxes, um, challenges, trying to get friends for accountability. But then I started noticing all these gray areas that I know a lot of you guys experience, which tends to start like sabotaging those efforts. So then I'm like, okay, well, what about fruit? Should I cut out fruit that's high in sugar? Is fresh fruit different from dried food? What about bread? Doesn't white flour act the same as sugar? Uh, what about packaged foods with small amounts of sugar? What about processed foods? Aren't they just as addictive as sugar? What about glucose versus fructose versus sucrose? Um, what if I'm out and I don't know if a food is going to contain sugar? Or what about my birthday? Should I not eat cake on my birthday? Uh, what if I accidentally eat something with sugar and I don't even know until after? Um, what about other foods I binge on? If I don't eat sugar, won't I just binge more on other things? So notice, guys, how all of this stuff, you know, can start to come up because um, there's all this gray there's all this gray around sugar and now the rules aren't as clear. And then we can see that not only are we probably still eating sugar, but has any of the, the mental obsession of this gone away? No, if anything, my mental obsession is now worse because I'm hyper aware of, does this have sugar? Does this have sugar? Oh, I can't have that, can't have that. Ooh, how much sugar is in that? Ooh, is that is that an okay amount of sugar? Maybe it'll be okay. You know. So the mind gets even more consumed and the more consumed the mind gets, that is part of what fuels addiction is the obsession. It's not just the compulsion, it's also the obsession. So the more we're obsessing, the more we're going to fuel, um, fuel that, same, that same pattern of thinking. So now we get to the, we get to the, oh, let me get back to that screen. Uh, so now, so even if I wasn't thinking or even if I wasn't eating sugar, technically, I was still obsessing about sugar. So on those th like those 30 day challenges that I would do without sugar. Yeah, I wasn't eating it, but I was thinking about it more than ever because I was like, oh, got to see if that is sugar and that is sugar. Got to stay away um, because I didn't want to violate my rules. So what I share in this post is. Uh, uh, it's complicated, right? It's complicated to enforce abstinence with food. Um, and so most people will, will try to fight it, but, but ultimately that's part of the problem, right? And that's, you know, for our clients is in their long-term vision for themselves and a lot of you guys too, right? You don't want to obsess about food anymore. That's why you're here. So you don't want to have to put yourself in a position where you're creating more rules. Like you want to just enjoy and be done with it and move on with your life. So, I do, and I address this in the post as well. Gosh, I really thought this one through. <laughs> Good job, past Katie. Um, I said, so I said, I do feel like I should address the studies that say, yeah, sugar is chemically addictive, right? And Sandra, that was one of the points that you brought up is, is, is it's been shown that um, these addiction responses, it, it affects the brain and this is real and that people do get addicted to, to these things. And it could be sugar, it could be flour, it could be processed foods, it could be cheese, you know, all those types of things we can get addicted to. Um, it, it would be impossible to name all of the things. So what I can tell you that is in our process, um, what we've been sharing with you in the, in the training and now, 
is that it doesn't matter if a food has chemically addictive properties or not. It will not affect your ability to enjoy it as a, a quote unquote normal eater, as I would prefer to say, a peaceful, relaxed eater. So, um, and the reason for that is, and let me just X out of this for a second while I talk about this one point. The reason for that is because while we can certainly experience brain effects or changes from sugar or body effects from sugar, it can change our physiology. That's all fine and good, but this is not a stronger force than you. It's not. Otherwise, it would be that way for, for all of us. And not only that, but it would stay that way. So for example, if for me, because like I definitely would have identified as a sugar addict, um, but now I can easily have cookies in the house. I can have one or some or whatever, and it feels very effortless. Whereas before it would be one bite that would spiral me. So notice how the cookies themselves didn't change. It's not that I'm eating things with less sugar now, right? I'm still eating foods that have sugar or eating foods that are processed, right? It's not the main part of my diet, but I'll eat processed foods. I'm not very rigid about that. I'll have, you know, a slice of birthday cake or something, but it's, 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 um, What's changed is me. The sugar in the cake has not changed. I'm the only the only uh, factor that's actually changed here. Therefore, it cannot be the sugar itself, right? Because otherwise, we'd all have you know those responses, right? If they're chemically addictive for the brain. So why is it that it would affect some people more than others? Well, there you know, I'm sure people could give a number of reasons for that. But as someone who does identify as having a quote unquote addictive personality, um, I can tell you that I never in a million years thought I would be able to have those things in regular quantities. And now it is so effortless and we see it. it's not just me, like I'm not special. Um, I'm really not. In fact, I'm probably slower <laughs> than most of our clients. Like I'm really not special at all. Um, the only difference is that I've continued to show up and just do the work again and again, but I'm not especially smart. Um, I'm not even especially, you know, motivated compared to a lot of you. I'm actually, you know, quite average in a lot of these ways. Um, and I had a lot of crap working against me too, with all of the obsessive compulsive mentality. So I feel you with the sugar and I, I recognize that. But if you think about it, so many things in our world can be considered chemically addictive, right? Like you mentioned, the flour, the sugar, the processed foods, but also social media and also this and also that and also so much in our environment. And none of that, though, is stronger than you and your mind. None of it. None of it. And it's and and um, part of what gives the power, I would say, for people, because because if it was purely chemical, right? If if we were to let's indulge that idea that oh, that's the only reason it's addictive is because of the chemical component and how that manifests in the brain. If we let's indulge that idea and, and ask ourselves, you know, 
as if it's true. We can see that if that were actually the case, right, then if I were to cut sugar out and then the chemically addictive part is gone, right, because I've been, let's say, a week without sugar or 10 days, a month, doesn't matter, let's say I'm 30 days without sugar, then why would it come back? If, chem if the chemical component is the only piece or the most important piece, then once we take care of that, why would it keep coming back? That's not a chemical addiction. There's another component to it. There might, some of the addiction might have a chemical component, but the driving force underneath it all is not chemical, right? It's coming from that place of compulsion. It's coming from that place of obsession. Because if we were to just cut it out and just deal with the with the chemical elements of the brain and treat ourselves like that robot, the urge won't come up again, right? But instead what happens is there's something that pulls us to keep coming back into the cycle. That compulsion, that obsession, when that's gone, you don't have to worry about the chemical. Cause like even um, uh, there was a situation, um, oh gosh, what was it? I can't even remember now, um, but there was a situation where I was, I had been eating like unusually healthfully for a few weeks and Shahar, I don't know if you remember, but um, we went to some potluck and at the potluck, I ate something that had, had sugar in it when I hadn't had sugar in a while. And I remember feeling, I felt the feeling of, Ooh, I want this again. Like, Ooh, I'm craving this again. I'm craving more. But what used to happen with, with all of my um, addictive kind of tendencies at the forefront, what used to happen is, oh my God, now I'm out of control. I've opened the floodgates. Oh, now I can't stop. Oh my God, I better eat it all now so that way tomorrow I can start fresh again. And I would put myself back in the cycle. That time though, I had that more of a curious mindset. And I said, huh, interesting that as soon as I ate that, I felt that feeling. But instead, I wasn't afraid of the feeling. I observed the feeling. And I said, Ooh, that's an interesting feeling. Let's see what happens. Let's see how long that lasts. Let's, you know, I came it from the point of curiosity and observation, which is the mindset that we train you guys in. Um, because you're you're going to be at your highest and best when you can hold that when you can hold that mindset. So what ended up happening is I felt that slight discomfort of craving. I felt that, um, that little, you know, tension. I, I noticed where it was. I felt it, but it's not that it was like someone possessed me and now I can't control what I'm reaching for anymore. It's not like that. So it, so even if something is chemically addictive, it, there's no, um, there's still nothing that's going to force you. There's, you're not as powerless as you think you are, is my point. Um, there are powers that you have that are far beyond any chemical component of any food. And especially if you're looking for a life where you're, where you're having this genuine freedom and you can have things in regular, and to answer your question, Sandra, um, where you said like, oh, do you still eat those things? Yeah. The other day I went out with a friend and, and 
uh, she got a cookie and I ate like half of her cookie. I had a headache after cause I hadn't had sugar in a while, but I, I had it and I was, I wasn't craving more. I don't think I've had sugar since then, but even when I do, that's okay. And even if I notice that little craving come up from that's okay, I can deal with this stuff. This is a non-issue now and, um, processed food, same thing, flour, same thing. So it's not beyond you. It's not beyond you. And we've had so many now um, self-proclaimed or diagnosed otherwise food addicts or sugar addicts or carb addicts who have said, I cannot imagine a life where I can have these things in moderation or where I can have these things as a normal eater. Everyone's having this experience now. So if it was only unique to me, I would be questioning. But now that we see this being repeated again and again and again and again with people who swore that there was no answer, you know, it's hard to argue those results. So, um, so absolutely. And we've had, you know, people come from those types of programs and those kinds of mentalities that weren't, you know, uh, that they didn't find success with long term. And then work through this more freedom-based approach and found a lot more <laughs> surprise, surprise freedom as a result. So I hope that that is uh, helpful. And I'm just going to check my, um, yeah. So, so we're not, we're not focused on eliminating necessarily the food itself. <laughs> we're focused as on creating more peace so that the compulsion and the obsession are eliminated because those are the real things that the most powerful forces that are driving you to keep coming back again and again to those old habits. Does that help? All right. All right. Fantastic. I think uh, we covered a lot. This was kind of a, its own episode of the sugar. And yeah, two, two hours. Mo holy moly. We did it, guys. We made it to the end. So before we before we tune out, I just first of all want to thank Shahar for being here, for helping me organize myself and these thoughts. Um, I was I was a little nervous about this episode because it was going to be more candid and, and less planned. But my hope is that what you all gained um, is some insights on how you can apply these sorts of thinking and, and mentality and practices as well to your own to your own life. And I also want to thank you for those of you who, you know, have been steady and consistent in showing up every week for a four week free training and you've come for this bonus class as well. And you're committing to yourself. And I think that this is one of the most important things that we need to see more of in this world is people committing to themselves and people saying yes to themselves and people saying, I am worthy. I am worthy of my own time and energy and effort to heal. And I'm worthy of this of this vision that I hold for myself in my life. And I'm no longer willing to accept any belief other than I am capable of this, no matter who's told it to you. So I really hope that you have the confidence in yourself that you can begin this practice without the expectation of perfection, but with the expectation of progress, that you can grow yourself and heal yourself. And if you ever you know, want to work with us in the future and you feel like that's going to be the thing to really expedite your progress, give yourself the gift because you know, we, can, we can stay in the prison for as long as we choose, but it, it doesn't get more spacious in there. <laughs> so if you want a more expansive life where you can have that freedom, please feel free to reach out if you feel like we're the ones who are, who are there, uh, who, who, are, who can help you best achieve um, what will make you feel successful. 
So, um, so thank you all for your beautiful questions as well as you've sent them in. Thank you for your participation. Amy, also thank you. Sandra, thank you. Everyone who's been participating on this talk, thank you. Shahar, thank you. Um, also just thank you for helping me through this whole thing <laughs> from, <laughs> from years ago. My God, you played such a huge role and you're, you're such a good support and um, I'm very grateful for you. So, and I know our clients are too. We're, we're all very grateful for you. Um, and I think that's it. I think that's it for today. All right, fantastic. Thank you very much, Katie. And thank you so much for answering all the questions and really showing us an insight into your progress. I think it was very valuable to everybody who joined. And even if anyone didn't see the whole thing, definitely go back and watch it. It's definitely worth it uh, to hear Katie's journey and how she worked through it and how unique this approach and this program is really and it really goes to the core and this is me saying from the person who kind of looked at it from the outside is really goes to the core of your being it really goes to the core of what really matters in your life it's not about the food it's not about the sugar it's not about all these external forces it's really you are the powerful being here and goes to the root cause of the issue and how you develop from that because we don't want our life to be around food food is not really not as half as important as we make it what really important is our life and our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with others our relationship with our bodies there's things that are so much more important than uh, a number on a scale or or whatever nutritionist doctor put you on a with a little note to say what you should eat and what quantity really life is so much more valuable than that so thank you very much katie for doing this with us i really i really enjoyed it <laughs> well, thank and, you for. And this is this is someone who already knows the story. Really <laughs> <laughs> um, so again, yeah, I'm it's much more pleasant when I'm when I'm when it's shorter and yeah. But I'm I'm really I'm really grateful for you guys. Um, I'll keep you posted. We've got some announcements coming up uh, next week about our program as well. So for those of you who are interested in working with us privately, um, stay tuned for those announcements. I'll send them out through email. If you're not on my email list, feel free to join my email list. You can find all that info on my website. But um, I love you guys. And thanks so much for being here and, and for, for being you and for showing up for you. And we'll see you. We'll see you real soon. All right. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.